From WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hello and welcome to another episode of WSL Pure One Ocean. I'm Reese. We have very exciting guests to hear from today. But first, I want to take a second to talk about what's going on in Australia right now. Wildfires have been ravaging Australia since November, and the impacts on the people, the landscape, and the wildlife there are tragic. So first and foremost, our hearts truly go out to the Australian people and all beings suffering these tragic fires. While wildfires occur naturally, it must be noted that this is happening in the hottest and driest year in Australia's history, ever, ever, ever. The climate crisis is making fire season worse by raising the overall temperature, decreasing precipitation, and thus increasing the risk and potency of bushfires. We want to give this topic its just due, so we're working on a bonus episode that will be coming soon. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Okay, moving on to this week's episode with sisters Malati and Isabel, who are the co-founders of Bye Bye Plastic Bags, which is a youth-led nonprofit campaigning to eliminate plastic bags and other single-use items. You may have heard of Malati and Isabel. After all, they've been featured on CNN, NPR, and more. They've given TED Talks, they've spoken to the United Nations, the World Bank, and received numerous awards and honors for their work, which is to rid their island home of Bali of plastic bags. Their real impact and influence stretch far beyond Indonesia, however, and they've been a major part of the movement away from single-use plastics. All of this, and they're still just in their teens. It's crazy. I've been fortunate to get to know Isabella Malati over the last two WSL events back in Bali, and I always walk away feeling inspired by their energy and enthusiasm. Even coming off of a whirlwind travel schedule, I caught them for just a few short minutes while they were between trips, and they brought that energy. We jumped right into the conversation and the, at the time, very recent announcement that Bali was saying goodbye to plastic bags with a regional ban on plastic bags and other single-use items, which is a huge win. So kudos to Melody and Isabel for all their hard work uh, making this happen. Let's dive right into our chat with Melody and Isabel of Bye Bye Plastic Bags. So I want to talk about the green school a little bit. How has your education at the green school influenced your work? Hmm. Yeah, so we went to the green school for 10 years now. Um, so really day one when the school started. And I remember, you know, we would beg our parents to please, please, can we please go to the green school um, way back when it first started and uh, and on day one we were there. Um, and I think that, you know, the space that it creates, I think is really just allows us to take education into our own hands. And I'm speaking mm-hmm. on a more personal experience here. It really gave me, um, you know, it challenged me to say like, hey, you know what, uh, everything is possible, but you've got to come up with it. And and um, I think that, that that is what I experienced as a student there and what has shaped uh, me to sort of be the person that I am today and also do everything that I can do with bioplastic bags. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I'm still at school. Malati graduated last year, but we're about to go on a trip and I'm going to miss school for 10 days. And I think if you were in a normal standardized education system, it would be really bad. Whereas Green School, you know, is flexible and really understands, you know, the impact of what we're doing and allows us to understand that it's also a different form of learning, you know, just outside of the classroom. And it's very project based and experiential learning, which I think is really, really cool. I mean, you both seem way beyond, you know, (laughs) like when I think about where I was in high school, or many of us here at the WSL, Mm. uh, so many of them are so impressed with you. I mean, everyone was like, 
those two girls, they're ace. I mean, they're a pro on the microphone. They know how to answer the questions. They banged it out. They're going to run the country someday. They're going to run the world someday. I mean, literally, that's the impression that yeah. the two of you give off. And I guess if there's a whole school <laughs> like that, I don't. would you say you're outliers? Or do you think that well, so look, everyone there is doing work like that? Because, I mean, Gary and there are others who right. are really impressive. So, mm-hmm. Well, there are quite a few of us now, um, you know, that after a few years, we're starting to see what's possible. But, you know, we started bioplastic bags actually before we went to the school. And it was just simply because of the environment that we were raised in and you know ha- having that to be Bali or even you know our family situation and then when we went to gr- green school it got boosted even more you know so bioplastic bags for us as well was an added life school is what I always like to say because you know through experiences I mean we were like 14 13 when we had to start dealing with government right who puts 13 and 14 year olds in a government room or what about huge events networking events you know shaking hands being able to hold a meaningful discussion with CEOs and general managers but really trying to get that call to action that you know each and every one of us can make a difference and I think by standing behind that message at such a young age it enabled us to be you know so well articulated and like because we feel what we're standing for we really we really own it and I think that that comes from various things you know from the green school from our family from plastic bags and our experiences with that. Do you feel like the green school is a great model for other schools that should be scaled? Do you feel like education needs to change? Do you feel like there's opportunity there? Definitely. I think there's opportunity there. And that's simply because I truly believe that the standardized traditional education system is broken. You know, it doesn't work for the time that we're living in now. And, you know, whereas we were privileged enough to dip our toes into an alternative education system, I still think that there is an untapped potential here. You know, and that's where really our next project where we're what we're looking at understanding the deep core of what it means to change the way we're seeing education, right? Because the way I see it is that, you know, learning doesn't only happen in a four-walled classroom. Who says that, right? Because we're learning just as much, or I'd say even more, being out there on the field, you know, strike, uh, climate striking, uh, co- coordinating and facilitating meetings with other people. It's all valuable real-life skills, and I think that the education system currently and globally is not addressing it. So we're not learning urgent or relevant issues, to make us motivated about anything. Yeah, and I mean, as you think about the internet and just our more and more distributed world, there's probably a lot of opportunity there for change, right? And I think about it from the surf world. I mean, we have so many surfers who go on tour at 17 or 18. You Mm -hmm. know, we have Caroline Marks. She's 17. She's on the world tour, so she's Mm -hmm. clearly not sitting in the classroom every day. Um, And so it's how do we change education to make it fit with our modern world, right? Yeah. I mean, I think also the way the education system is shaped right now is that it's one size fits all, right? And I think we're learning more and more that every kid and every child is different and there's different ways that they like to be taught and different ways that they like to learn. And so I think, you know, it's about creating those alternative education systems that are accessible to everyone, not just a select, you know, handpicked few. Yeah. And then you take those educated, you know, masses and, you know, you look at the youth movement around the world right now. It's really incredible. You know, the um, looking at some of the uh, bands that are going into place in the United States and what you all have done here. I mean, it's amazing. The youth are leading the charge, right? Um, so it's really, we should all just get out of the way. Mm. Um, sadly, I now <laughs> have to bucket myself into the adult category. Um, I'd love to be on the youth side, but I think the gray hair doesn't allow it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did want to talk more about the band itself, yeah. right? So the band itself, the name, it's all in the name, right? Bye Bye Plastic Bags. Clearly, you went after the plastic bag. There's more to the ban, and the ban is now coming online, hopefully soon. Let's talk about the ban. Can you give me the history of the ban first? 
Yeah, okay, so the history takes us way back to, I mean, you All know. Right, maybe the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, there we go. Um, okay, so this is something that our group specifically has been focusing on for the past six years um, to really rally this in place. And um, now, finally, you know, after speaking and campaigning with uh, local, regional, and national government, we're seeing the government of Bali actually implement a island-wide plastic bag ban this year. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so cool. I know. And our entire team is sort of like victory dancing throughout the island. But we're also taking it very seriously because, you know, what we've been trying to say is that Okay, we just talked about education, right? But what about that socialization period that allows people to really change their mindset and understand why this ban is coming into place, right? And I think we've, you know, with other local stakeholders, um, we've done a real good job about uh, really trying to you know, change the narrative as to and, and get people feeling like they understand why. But there's still lots of work left to be done. So we're doing a lot of we call it a, a plastic patrol. So our team sort of goes out every weekend. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of um, active citizen journalists going into these uh, locals, warungs and these uh, stores and and really checking if they're if they're already banning plastic bags. And if not, why? What are some of the challenges? Because I think we're still going to be seeing those challenges. And it's important to understand, you know, what's keeping us from the from the goal of the band coming in place. Yeah. It's funny you have the, the plastic patrol in, in our office. You know, I've become the default plastic police, but I, mm. I don't want to be that. And I've never tried to be that. I actively tell my coworkers, you know, hey, I don't, if, if you use plastic, that's okay. Right. I, I don't want to be here to shame anybody or anything like that. But then they all talk about it, you know, behind my back. Like, did you see so and so had a straw the other day? They'll like <laughs> report on each other, you know, and then they started self reporting, um, even to the point where they once uh, made a, a, a wall of uh, shame, so to speak. On their own. I had nothing to do with it, but, you know, somebody had a plastic oh water gosh. bottle and they, they're like, they're, sorry, Reese. And I'm like, it's, it's okay. Don't say sorry to me. Just say sorry to the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, but it's, it's it's serious. Like, it's becoming this, like, especially in Indonesia and especially, again, from the young people, it's becoming such a trend to say no to plastic. And it's not, you know, it goes beyond, obviously, an Instagram post, but, but we're taking this very seriously. So we're having our, you know, Tumblr water bottle everywhere we go, our, you know, metal reusable straws. We're bringing our own bags and there's a real sense of pride to this like we're really owning this and it's just been a real revolution that we've seen throughout our six years but it what is in the span of maybe like I think eight months that this has gone so intensely across the entire country where we're seeing it become such a massive trend to the point where you know I think that there's no turning back now no way yeah totally now at the same time there's been some recent news and some recent trends both uh, mm. with 2018's you know China's national sword program which has essentially disrupted the entire global recycling trade right. right so for those who don't know on the podcast here China basically said we're not taking your trash anymore I, I mean do you want to explain either of that no <laughs> I mean, it's such a complex and huge issue, but basically countries that used to be shipping off their waste to other, well, not poorer, but yeah, essentially developing, um, countries. developing countries. There we go. Thank you. Now they're not allowed to send that waste off. You know, they're right. just not allowed to say, OK, goodbye waste. Another country can deal with it. Now, what the problem that we're seeing is that countries are actually having to face the fact that they're producing so much waste. And what are they going to do about it? Right. Right. And this is the essential question that nobody has been asking for generations and, you know, for well generations, but decades, we've been ignoring this question. And suddenly now with this regulation that China is saying, no, we're not taking anybody, any, anyone's waste anymore. We're finally starting to ask it and we're asking it on a big scale because this goes directly back to governments, but also to the to the source of plastic pollution. Right. And that's that's the production 
that we have to that we have to end so it's it's an interesting space that we're in right now and for example you know a country like indonesia that in 2017 we actually made a goal to reduce 70% of our waste by the year 2025 right and this was stated at the united nations conference in new york in 2017 now 2025 isn't that far away right and if Not we think about it um that's about 6 years away same amount of same amount of years you know that we've been campaigning to get rid of the single use plastic bags not 70% but just one single use item and it took us the same amount of time so we have our questions with you know this entire generalized you know scope of what's happening right now on a global scale of dealing with our waste and how we're going to start reducing it you know setting big goals like that or big statements like china rejecting all other waste or countries making big goals it's about making those realistic and tangible steps that we know we can start today with right and whereas there can be complications and you know a lot of waiting time before we get the of- official policies or regulations set in place it needs to happen faster you know because and coming from the younger generation again it's all happening in our lifetime and that's where we have the loudest voice of demand where we say we want change and we want that right now it's amazing i mean the, the in general the youth movement uh you know you look at like greta thunberg and what the two of you have done and just all around the country and all around the world uh the youth are leading the way it's so powerful Do you want to speak about Utopia at all? Yeah. Sorry, I, I was trying to like tee it up a little <laughs> bit before, but I didn't I know. know if it was not out yet or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this won't go sure. to air for a long time, so we actually. Yeah, no, I would love to. Okay. Um, and especially, you know, just tapping into what you just said of like the youth movement, it's rising. Um, and and this is just specific to I think again what's happening now. We understand that the world is in trouble. There are so many issues. It's not just plastic pollution. It's climate change, rising sea levels, deforestation, uh, gender equality, education systems. It's everything. And I think young people are starting to recognize it. but they're even even better they're starting to recognize their own power and so over the past 6 years where we've had the opportunity to connect with over 50,000 students face to face meaning we've been in different classrooms different school systems uh where we're realizing that there's so many bright young people who are two things either already on the same path as us standing up for what they believe in or who have really really great ideas but don't know how to take it to the next level. And so with our next project Utopia, we aim to do just that, to give them the skills, the tools and the experience so that they can come in, find their passions, grow their skills so that they can go back home and really create that change. That's so cool. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's exciting. I can't I am I'm really um pumped for it because I think that this is really just simply the next step. right and if we're looking again at like what's happening with the climate strikes with kids really understanding this seeing real life stories on on Instagram social media we need to upscale the attitude and like the mindset of other frontline change makers to make it accessible to each and every young individual right so it's about how we can all start answering the what can we do now question totally and I, yeah, yeah and please. i think also throughout our six year journey you know as young people The thing that's kept me the most motivated and empowered and inspired is seeing that, you know, me and Mlati, we're not alone. We have our entire team and then going on beyond that at every conference we go, at every speech we do, we see that there are so many other young people out there in the world doing amazing things. And I think, you know, Utopia again is about really creating that physical and online platform where we can create a network and community of youth where we can really, you know, learn from each other and have that peer-to-peer education. Very cool. Now, It feels like now we're we're here we're here in Bali we're at Karamas right we're next to some of the best waves in the world um, we're here because this is the WSL Pure podcast it's all about surfing so connecting it to the ocean mm. it feels like that has been a catalyst for this whole movement 
right? Like for a long time, we had recycling, quote unquote, and we uh, knew that we were throwing trash into landfills. And then all of a sudden, it was kind of like Great Pacific Garbage Patch, um, for better or worse, how you you know think about that as a, a theme that's been in the news, right? But it was a Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It was images of dead whales. It was images of you know uh, seabirds with plastic in their bellies. Like it, it, it kind of the ocean almost brought it back to us. I feel right. like I don't. Would you agree? Do you feel like that was there, or do you feel like there are other examples out there that are non-ocean examples that maybe we're not thinking of or something? <laughs> you know, we in the surf world really, you know, we mm-hmm. we, we we get um, upset when we see that image of a dead whale or a dying yeah. dolphin or something, or when we see it in our surf. Like right here, the surfers run into it. You know, they're out there in the lineup and they're, you know, Ace Buckin the other day told me I can't fit enough trash in my, in my pocket of my board shorts. You know, he's going to like design new board shorts to fit more trash in his pockets for surfing in Indo. Yeah. So I guess I'm kind of asking, it's like, it feels like the ocean has played a strong role in that. And would, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's played a huge role in that because it translates something that no other example could have translated, right? There's this connection to the ocean that, of course, all surfers have, but I think it goes deeper. It goes beyond that because the ocean makes up so much of the the place that we call home. And it also has other living beings in it. And I think that's where, you know, it strikes a chord no matter what, because we're seeing the harm that we're doing with our daily activities and hitting it right back home to another species. And um, yeah, I think that uh, that's got a lot to do with, you know, that translation, that real real catch um, that the ocean has been able to give back to us. Was it part of a driver for you too? I mean, growing up on the island of Bali, for sure, for sure. I mean, we don't get much, we don't get much out on the on the surfboard, but definitely out into the ocean. Um, you know, our parents raised us for the first few years on a boat where we actually traveled around Indonesia. And um, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was really, really a beautiful way to be brought up because, you know, a boat was our home. So we moved, you know, every time we would wake up, we'd see new islands uh, around Indonesia, the most beautiful untouched waters. You know, I remember flushing my toilet on the boat and then we were in such a remote space that all of the, what do you call those? The like glow, the water glowed. The uh, phytoplankton? Phosphorus. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. phosphorescence. You know, yeah. So, you know, and, and like all of those unique, like adventurous moments of really being out there and connecting on such a pure level with nature but mostly the ocean right and i think that that has enabled a huge huge sense of responsibility but also a sense of like love it just comes down to that like we protect what we love and yeah it's just as simple as that sometimes cool isabel anything on the ocean i didn't know you guys grew up on a boat yeah no it definitely was like a huge part of me and melati's bringing up but i think also you know we live 100 meters from the beach so every time me and melati we're young we'd have these like weird little adventures where we just pack a backpack for a day you know with a water bottle and a sandwich and be like hey bye mom and dad we'll see you later and like 80 percent of the time we'd end up by the beach and it was sort of yeah. you know our quiet space our playtime space and we'd you know build huts in the middle of the day because it got really hot and things like that and jump in the ocean with our friends and yeah it was always just such a present part of our upbringing that i think we really were able to create that connection with the ocean That's even awesome. if we're not surfers sadly <laughs> it's okay you've surfed and and you love the ocean i mean you grew up on a boat you spent more time on the ocean than most people that's super cool we got a little off track i do want to go back to the band a little bit going back to the band you know the band is just for bali yeah uh yeah well so 
far, the one that we've seen put in place is happening in Bali, and it came in a set of two phases. So the first one came from our uh, mayor of Denpasar City, Rai Mantra, and he introduced the ban just for the city and just for modern retailers, and that happened on January 1st, 2019. And the governor, very shortly after, uh, he introduced the island-wide ban, not just for modern retailers, but really targeting everything and anything. Um, so plastic bags uh, will be fully banned on the island as of uh, mid midway in 2019. So um, the socialization period has been very heavily focused on just Bali, yeah. And then do you think that there's hope for a ban at the national level? Oh, it, yes. Is there is there progress there? Is there? I, yeah. I know for a while it was ba- uh, bouncing back and forth between the two, right? The ban was, mm. let's do it at the government mm-hmm. level, and then it was, no, do mm-hmm. it local level, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the the goal that I mentioned earlier of, you know, Indonesia really setting that high target of reducing 70 percent by 2025, somewhere in that national regulation, I mean, you know, they've they've cut it down into different uh, ways to start tackling that goal. But I think in there, banning plastic bags is already a point of attention. So we're, we're getting discussions where national government is seriously putting this out as a realistic solution for all regional governments throughout Indonesia. But also um, there are cities in, in Indonesia that have already banned plastic bags. And this is t- uh, taken down on a way more local authority execution. But, uh, you know, Banjarmasin uh, banned plastic bags and uh, in Kalimantan, a few cities have banned it. So the the reason and the special unique part about Bali banning it is uh, a lot of islands look up to Bali because of how transit it is but also just how uh, if they can do it, we can do it too sort of mentality, which I think it really enables and is empowering for other islands and other local authorities to see the different ways that, you know, first it happened on a mayor level, then it happened on a governor levels. So that gives authority to almost all local uh, politicians to really see, okay, we don't have to wait for that national regulation to come in place. We can start taking that power into our own hands and creating that change. That's awesome. It makes me think of some kids in a town near where I'm from. I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, the northeast of the U.S., right? And uh, there's a small island called Martha's Vineyard and a small town in Martha's Vineyard uh, called Chillmark, I believe. And these kids, I think they were in the sixth grade, wanted to ban bottles. And they said, we're going to go after the water bottle Mm. and we're going to go after soda, too. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to convince their whole town. Now, granted, it's a small town, but they convinced their whole town, town hearings, you know, they got the whole movement going, went to the local shop owners and said, hey, we want to do this and da da da. And were able to convince the shop owners to go along with it. And right. so the, the town now has uh, voted to pass the legislation that will ban any single use plastic bottle under 32 ounces, I believe, oh, wow. including soda. Oh, that's awesome. So cool. And the video, I'll send you the video. We'll put the video on the show notes as well. But the video is so incredible because you have these kids who Mm -hmm. get up and they say their piece. And then Mm -hmm. they even have the shopkeeper who says, you know, this, we thought this was going to hurt business, but we look at it. It's the right thing to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And when they pass the, the, the rule and I'm getting chills just talking about it right now, it's Mm -hmm. so cool. The whole room erupts and I like, you know, my wife makes fun of me for not being a very sensitive person sometimes. She's like, where's your emotion? Da, 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 da. And when I watch that video, I cried a little bit. And, uh. and like, so cheesy. She's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, look at this. It's incredible. The kids did it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's just really powerful to see that local action. You know, yeah. I think a lot of times people kind of go, what can I do? 
right? Like you said before, youth go, what can I do? And acting locally is just such a powerful thing, just Mm -hmm. getting started in your local community. For sure. And I think with that story, also what I picked up from it, which I find really inspiring and like really moving is that the businesses, you know, realize that, okay, maybe, you know, it's not the most profitable and I'm not going to make the most money out of it. And it's, and I'm not going to do it because it's the hottest trend or the next cool thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And I think that's really inspiring. And slowly you're starting to see it in industries everywhere that, you know, big companies with platforms are being like, oh, okay, you know, we have the responsibility to do what's right as well. 100%. That's really cool. And I mean, going back also on the other point is that we need those local heroes to to give that push, Mm -hmm. right? And with Bioplastic Bags, keeping that in mind, is that now we're in 40 locations around the world where Bioplastic Bags is represented. Chapters, Chapters, yeah, chapters. So we have 40 team leaders, um, and these kids are awesome. I mean, they're all in middle school, high school, or university, and this is honestly one of my favorite aspects of bioplastic bags we have team meeting calls with all the team leaders once a month and that's really like if i'm if i'm exhausted i just like i can't wait to that for to get on that call because i'm listening to all these stories of what they're doing locally all over the world and they come up with like even better ideas than anything we could have come up with here in bali right so like they're working with all these universities and they're creating like a a university bands plastic bags and becomes plastic free or um, they're doing uh, massive cleanups with uh, different organizations it's it's beyond incredible but that's definitely it you know where we're seeing that around the world kids who see what we're doing in bali say we want to do the same back where we come from right and that's bringing such a such an easy concept of what bioplastic bags really stood for at the beginning saying no to plastic bags that what well, that's our vision but secretly almost like just without knowing you know very very organically we became this living example that kids can do things literally this embodiment of a vision for other kids to say like okay we can copy and paste that because if they can do it we can do it too and i think that that um, mindset is just it so powerful in the way that we've created a really relatable story so when we're standing in front of kids they see themselves and i think that that is something that can really drive home change if kids can understand why and what they're doing well i know that uh when i left here last year i left inspired by the two of you and you inspired all the wsl as well you know from sophie our ceo on down to you know every person on the team so I think you're 100% right about that. The two of you have stepped up and created a movement in the plastic fighting sphere and now are going beyond that, it seems, to educating more youth to go tackle more issues. And there's a butterfly effect that's going to be really incredible. So thank you for all that you do for the planet. And uh, as a surfer, thank you for the work you do that helps clean up the ocean that we surf in. And we're trying to do our part to support. But yeah, it's really incredible. And it's been really a pleasure to have a conversation here. Yeah, well, thank you for allowing us to be a part of this platform as well and for having us, you know, last year and this you're a part of WSL. We're happy to support. Any any parting thoughts that you want to hit on? Any notes? I think that, you know, like something that I've been pulling up again when I speak to people, it's that sometimes it can be super overwhelming when you discuss these sort of topics, you know. It's a, it's a big picture we have to paint for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I think breaking it down is very helpful and if there's one thing you can go away with, I think it's this mindset that all you have to take care of wherever you go, no matter where you are, just focus on taking care of that one meter around you. Like you have this big bubble around yourself and everywhere you go, you have to take care of it. Who, If it's the person right next to you or if it's the environment right next to you, that's all you're responsible for. And imagine if every single person started thinking like that. Imagine the world we'd be living in. Pretty powerful way to end here. That's amazing. Thank you, Lottie, Isabel. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Just focus on the one meter around you. 
I really love that. And it's really stuck with me since our conversation. That's something we can all do. Maybe your one meter becomes two or three or more, maybe not, but it's such an amazing guiding mantra and enables all of us to take action. Since we spoke, which was actually last May, Melody and Isabel, of course, have gone way beyond the one meter around them. Here are just a few of their highlights. In August, Melody and Isabel were awarded Indonesian Heroes in Jakarta by OCBC Bank. Melody won a Seven Millennial Heroes campaign. In November, Isabel spoke at the uh, Global Leaders Roundtable. Melody and Isabel are being awarded as Role Models of the Year in Germany. Also, Melody has finished filming a feature-length documentary called Bigger Than Us that will come out in spring 2020. And they were added to the list of 50 badass women by InStyle US. Um, which is pretty freaking rad. And speaking of badass women, with us once again is our friend Kim Hogan. Kim, you're back. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. (laughs) It was nice to have you on the very first episode, and then you disappeared. You went away to Hawaii for a while. I did. I went to both our Maui uh, and Oahu events, so I was gone for an absolute eternity. (laughs) (laughs) And how was it? How'd it go? It was great. It was amazing. Um, Both events were incredible and um, won some titles. Won some titles? I did. T- you won a title? <laughs> what do you think about Melody and Isabel? You've, you've gotten to see them kind of in our events and uh, are, I assume, a fan of theirs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how I could not be a fan. I think the work that they're doing is really incredible. And from someone who was an absolute degenerate as a teenager, I feel really excited by what they're doing and their promise as they get older. Is that is that their greatest power that they're really just like, hey, do something. All of you adults did nothing like do anything no i'm just kidding they they truly are an inspiration i mean i feel like we introduced them to a bunch of people at our events and everyone walked away and went wow they are so so impressive yeah they're really accomplished and well-spoken and buttoned up but they still have this sort of freedom about them that is this youthful sort of exuberance that's really infectious so it's sort of a lethal combo (laughs) yeah they're rad yeah kim you are back here to do flotsam and jetsam and you brought you did homework. Like you did, you did a deep read over the break. Yeah, I did. What do you got for us? I did. So there was this article in the Atlantic in their January, February issue. You are so posh. You only (laughs) read the New York times and the Atlantic (laughs) and the New Yorker. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) But yeah. And so it's this incredible, uh, long read about deep sea mining and it's about, uh, sort of the possible effects of mining in the deepest parts of our ocean. Yeah, so there have been a few articles passed around about this because it's all actually coming up. Um, So many uh, different countries are trying to mine in this one, this Clarion-Clipperton zone, or CCZ, uh, extends across 1.7 million square miles between Hawaii and Mexico. And apparently there's a bunch of these uh, nodules or whatever of Mm -hmm. things that we need for batteries. Right. And it creates this really interesting conversation that is we're building all of these um, electric vehicles that are supposedly better for the environment. But then in order to create the batteries for them, which which happen to use the same materials that are batteries in our iPhones and our computers and all this other technology, we have to mine them at the bottom of the ocean. So it creates this at least what I took out of it was that it creates this sort of dialogue, which is one sort of evil lesser than another. Yeah, it's it's pretty bonkers. I, well, you can you can mine them in other places, not just the ocean. Yes. And the question is, like, can we do it in a safe way for that local environment? I know that like Bolivia uh, has a ton of um, uh, material for batteries. Mm-hmm. So the question is, like, can we do it safely to then get batteries that we need for electric vehicles? Or is that worse than just using gas and oil? Exactly. 
Anyway, it's a deep read. Go check it out. Sure we'll is. link to it in the show notes. The other major issue that I, I hit at the top of the show are the fires, the Australian mm-hmm. fires. Um, I, uh, you know, am also snobby and listen to the New York Times uh, or read the New York Times. Um, but they actually have some really great coverage. They have a great Australian bureau and their coverage has been really solid, um, particularly um, how they're pointing out like, look, this is straight up an anomaly and this blows apart anything that's happened in the past and it is directly linked to climate change. And I think that's kind of the real, for me, that's the real story. Like first and foremost are the people and the, and the animals and the habitat and we think about them first. But I think this is just such a very, very crystal clear example of what's to come. And this probably, we probably haven't seen the worst yet and that's really scary. But I think what's been cool uh, has been seeing the surf community step up and seeing even, you know, in the Golden Globes or whatever it was, some of the actors, you know, like Russell Crowe, yeah. I think, like, sent in his speech and was like, hey, Gladiator says this is climate change. And uh, seeing some of our athletes talk about which is pretty cool. Have you seen some of their stuff? Yeah, I saw um, Lakey's post the other day. And, and it's just been sort of around. And, like, Mick and Joel are doing that. They're, like, auctioning off a day to surf with them. Oh, really? Yeah. Where? Where do you get to surf with them? Uh, somewhere, I mean, somewhere in Australia. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's sort it. of been around and the whole like Wright family is really involved. Like Tyler's really passionate about animals and like she had the little tiny dots in her story the other day. It was like so much information around like where to donate and how to help. And it's another one of those, that, like we talked about it when we were talking about the fight for the bite, where you're sort of surprised to see this community come together for this thing. And it's, it's, it's really beautiful and it's really powerful to see surfers sort of using their platforms and their voices and their passions to, to support something that really matters to the whole world for sure and i think one of, one of the coolest people i've seen who's supported who surfs or has surfed is celeste barber i i love her uh my wife and i crack up at her instagram she's hilarious um if you don't know her she's an australian comedian yeah slash i don't know political figure maybe someday i don't know she's amazing but um she started a fundraiser and she's raised like 26 million dollars right. in just a couple of days yeah it's awesome. She, she's doing more than like, there's so much on the internet. That's like, she's single-handedly like <laughs> bolstering the Australian, <laughs> like the, she's, she's an Australian government on her own. Because, yeah. She's winning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's right. Well, I mean, again, like it always goes to where, whenever there's these tragedies, you know, the old Mr. Rogers sort of adage of like, look for the helpers and be inspired by them and then figure out how you can help. So we'll link to a couple places where you can donate. That's it for this week's episode. Kim, Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate, and review as it helps people find this podcast and it helps us reach more people to increase ocean literacy. As always, you can find us online at WSLPure and WSLPure.org or feel free to shout us an email at oneocean at WSLPure.org. Shout us an email. Did I really just that's, say that? Yeah, that's not. Just shout us an email, everybody. shout emails. <laughs> Some people I mean, do. <laughs> <clears throat> shoot us an email, shout us an email, whatever you want to do. Tell us how you're helping improve the one meter around you. Thanks for listening. See you next time.